Jason Nazar of Forbes magazine shared three questions that will change your life. The first one, what are you pretending not to know? All possibilities open up when we stop deceiving ourselves. What are you pretending not to know? Number two, why don't you do the things you know you should be doing? The challenge in life is always to do what we know we should. Number three, what are your values? Are you being true to them? If we don't live in accordance with our values, then pain is the inevitable result. When Jesus sat with the disciples, he gave them a parable about the sower to answer these and many other grand questions of life. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, the disciples have now listened to him teach and explain the parable. And he says something stunning to them, Mark 4, 11, to you, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. To them that are without, all things are done in parables. Jesus makes a distinction here. To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. For us to know who Jesus is, it has been given as a revelation by God's grace for us to understand that. There are others, though, that don't yet have that revelation. They are still in darkness. To us who it has been given to understand by His grace, we express profound gratitude. Paul would later even say Satan himself works to blind the minds of those still in darkness. How beautiful, Paul says, are the feet of those who bring good news. When Jesus said to the disciples they now understand the mystery, they were then to be salt and light as we are. Take that mystery into the darkness to the people living therein so they might have then an understanding of the mystery of the kingdom of God, that kingdom of God to live now with Christ as King. Yesterday, some Jehovah Witnesses knocked on my door. They simply said, we would like to share a Bible verse. I said, great. They shared the verse. Then they said, do you ever read the Bible? Do you have beliefs about God? And I said, you know, I, I do. Actually, I'm a pastor. And I'd be glad to talk more about that. And they simply closed up their book, said thank you, turned around and walked away. Jehovah Witness, they will not talk to pastors. They essentially believe that you work for the enemy. But as they walked away, it wasn't so much offensive, but I thought, what tremendous arrogance. Tremendous arrogance for somebody to say, I have nothing to learn from this person. I know everything I need to know and to simply walk away. We are all on this journey together. We are all trying to learn more about Christ. We are all called to be as iron sharpens iron one to another. There's no room for arrogance. If you understand who Jesus is, and I understand who Jesus is, it's not because we're smart, brilliant, good. It's His grace that has given us that revelation of the way, the truth, and the life. Statistic came out this past week I was listening to that said 27% of college graduates work in a field related to their degree. Not very high. But of that 27%, half are unhappy in their job. We've all been given certain things to believe. 
get good grades, go to college, get a degree, then get a job, and get married, and be happy. But these simple answers don't really give answers, do they? What does provide that answer? I think Guy Pei puts it well when he says this, most Christians know who God is. Most Christians know who Jesus is. Most Christians know who the devil is, but most Christians don't know who they are. If we don't understand our identity, live from a core identity, again, we're not going to have victory in life. When Jesus said, you have been given an understanding of the mystery of the kingdom, a big part of that is to stop and know then our true identity. One of the most profound verses, and I don't think we can understand it completely, but in part, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, 1 John 4, 17, which says, As He is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. What does that mean in part? In part, it means when the Father looks at you or me, He sees Jesus in us. It means that Jesus is living His life through you, through me. It means that what He says we can do, then we can do. When He made the statement to the disciples, greater works shall you do than this, I don't know that He meant that as a statement to an individual, but rather to the collective body of Christ. Billions of people now able to minister all around the world because they've been given an understanding of the mystery, but many not living in victory because they don't know their identity. Their identity is, as he is, so am I in this world. As he lived in perfection, then I can live in perfection by his grace. As he lived in love, I can live in love. As he lived in victory and in truth, as he is in this world, so are we. Marvin Cope said, To be in the kingdom is to be united with Christ in spirit. It is to have the mind of Christ. The Christ mind is love. To live in the kingdom, Paul says, we are united with him in spirit. Norman Grubb cites a number of the promises you find in the Gospels and in Paul's letters about our identity of as he is. So are we in this world. For instance, Grubb shares, Thus, we are in the light, as he is in the light. We walk as he walked. We know as he knows. We are righteous as he is righteous. We love as he loves. We believe as he believes. He is living his life through me. That is reality. We walk in a continual, not I, but Christ, but yet it is me. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, states something very important for this time of year. Paul says, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Our destiny in life is to be conformed to the image of his son. We can simply stop and say, since January 1st, up until this day, is my life looking more like Jesus? Am I allowing that process where he is conforming me? to take place or am I in rebellion to that but the key is the second part where he says so that Christ would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters 
If he is the first, that means there are more to come. There's a second, a third, a millionth, a billionth, and so on. He is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. His life was to be the template for many to follow. We'll see how important that firstborn statement is here in just a moment. Adrian Rogers puts it very plainly. He says it like this. When he died, you died. When he was crucified, you were crucified. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised from the dead, you raised from the dead. When he ascended to the right hand of God, he took you with him. That's your spiritual position in Christ. When Jesus died, our death took place. Then no longer do we face an eternity in darkness, but now we have eternal life. When he was crucified, Paul says our crucifixion took place, meaning that the old man, the sin nature, was nailed to the cross. We bear that no more. When he was buried, we were buried. That old life was left behind. When he was raised, we were raised to eternal life, but also to a new life right now with a new heart as a new creation. And he ascended to the right hand. That means that we have the authority in him over sin and the devil to stay in the light as he is in the light and speak truth into other people's lives. What does that look like? Erwin McManus, an author and minister, shares a story where his son was at camp, about 12 years old. And while at camp, he got into a very angry argument that they were going to throw punches. He and this other kid, the only thing that stopped them from fighting physically was other people intervened and held them down. So when Erwin McManus showed up, found out this happened. He went to find his son. His son already had his bags packed, walked right to the car, threw them in the back seat, got in the car and said, let's go. Erwin pulled his son out to sit on a stump, asked him what happened. Then he said, son, I know you're angry at this other kid. I know you want to fight, but is there a voice inside of you that you hear that says something different. And his son said, yes. Erwin said, can you identify that voice? He said, yes, it's God. What does that voice say? That voice says I should stay. And Erwin said the, the shock of that conversation was his son then said, but I don't care what God says. I am leaving this place. Erwin then said, you have a choice, and that choice is yours. You can leave, but if you ignore that voice and you disobey, next time it'll be easier to ignore that voice, easier to disobey. And the time after that, it'll be easier still. And there will come a time in your life where you won't hear that voice anymore, and you'll begin to say, I bet God does not even exist. But there's another path where you can listen to that voice and you can obey what that voice is telling you. And the next time, you'll hear that voice even more clearly. And the next time after that, even more clearly. 
And then you'll start to know a new life, a new sense of peace. And your life will be completely different. But the choice, though, is yours. Erwin said, though, his son then thought about it, and he ended up staying, working things out with that other student. We each have that voice. Do we listen to that? Or do we simply go our own way? Our identity is to say, as he is in this world, so am I. I read this past week, Adara Butler's book. Her father was a minister and still is. And she rebelled. But not just a little rebellion. She went into deep rebellion against everything her father and mother taught her about faith. She had numerous affairs. Used a lot of substance to abuse alcohol, things of that nature. She found herself pregnant. And she made the decision to terminate that pregnancy. Something that sent her into a dark spiral, depression, and brokenness. I want to share a question, though, that she shared was her prayer at this lowest point of her life. After all this darkness and sin, she prayed, What exactly do you want from me, God? What exactly do you want from me, God? For her, that answer was a new heart, a new life, and to become an evangelist, which she is today. Perhaps, though, for you, for me, a place to start in understanding more of this identity as he is in this world, so am I, is to begin to pray this week, what exactly do you want from me, God? What exactly is it that you want me to do from this day forward? Ole Anthony put it so well when he said, when you are forgotten, neglected, or purposely provoked, and you don't sting and hurt with the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When we reach a point where we can more fully embrace as He is in this world, so am I, we know our life then is lived for an audience of one. And we're not caught up in seeking the approval of the crowds or the world. And when that disapproval even shows up, we can say, you know what? I simply glory in the cross all the more because I live my life now knowing by His grace the mystery of the kingdom. Job 33 says this, God may speak in one way or another, but man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. God works through so many ways. And Job says maybe a dream, a vision, a word, a friend. And many don't perceive until God makes that moment where he opens our mind to hear 
And that's our chance to say, yes, Lord, I listen. You know, there's nothing wrong with working at fast food restaurants, but people ask, why are the salaries so low? The reason is you can learn a job for a fast food restaurant in an hour. So if you leave, somebody else can be trained in an hour. To get ahead in any career, we have to say, how can I add more value to this job? How do I add more value to other people's lives? How do I add more value to this company or to my family or to an individual? How do I make myself somebody that gives value to others? Sometimes that means asking questions differently than other people ask. For instance, consider Zappos. They originally were a shoe company that sold shoes to women through the mail. It was a terrible idea. They almost went bankrupt, hired a new president. He came in and said, here's what you have to do. We're going to send shoes for free to women. And if they don't like them, they can mail them back and we will pay the shipping and send another pair free. All the people at the company said, what a terrible idea. You cannot pay for free shipping. He said, we have to make a different offer to people. You know, Monica and I, when we go to the store to look for shoes, I grab a size nine off the shelf. I don't try them on. doesn't matter what company it is. Monica shares though, that women's shoes, they have a range of about three sizes. That was Zappos problems. Many of the shoes did not fit. Your size six, they would say, is not the size six from this other company. What happened when Zappos started to make an irresistible offer, thinking differently? Well, there was a complete turnaround and they sold that company now to Amazon for one and a half billion dollars a few years ago. Why? Because somebody asked questions a little bit differently than others had asked. Our identity, we have to ask different questions to understand more clearly who we are and say, what does it mean that as he is in this world, so am I. What does it mean that as he is in the light, I am in the light. And how can I more fully grasp that in prayer and maybe to simply stop and say, God, what exactly is it you want from me? 1 Corinthians 15 says, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he goes on to say, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus was raised on the Feast of First Fruits. We might have called it Easter. It's not a day just on the calendar. It's a daily reality. Christ has indeed been raised, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? Again, in that celebration, they recognize the first crop of the year would mean a second crop, a third crop, a hundredth crop. Well, Jesus raised on the Feast of First Fruits to say, again, he was the first of many to come who would look and live just like him and have the same victory over death and sin that he gave us victory to. He is the first fruits, meaning there were many more to come. We are now part of those coming crops. That is the beauty of the mystery of saying, as he is in this world, so am I, because he is the first meaning there would be a second and a third, a millionth, a billionth. And we are in that line of crops to live our life just like him. That's why Smith Wigglesworth would say, there is not one thing in me the blood doesn't cleanse. 
the first fruit that we might know by his example he was starting a line of succession of a second fruit and a third fruit a people who would embrace and live as he is in this world so am i same victory same hope same life died to self christ living his life through me through you that we might collectively do greater things we have to ask this week how can i add value to other people how can i add value to their lives how can i speak truth into their darkness by my example my words we close with matthew 27 remember the feast of first fruits they made an offering of part of that first crop as thanksgiving to God. Jesus made his first fruit offering as well that Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 27 says, The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. Again, he was the first. Went into the city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, all that happened, the resurrections, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Tomb broke open. He rose proclaimed that he was the first of many to come, made his first fruit offering of gratitude through the Father, and now the promise is, as he is in this world, so are we. Surely he is the Son of God.